Hello, friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigSceneDispatch.com. Before we take you to your favorite Sports History Network show, just want to tell you a little bit about some merch that you can pick up that represents your favorite SHN podcast. So far, there's t-shirts, coffee mugs, and even books from some of the authors that do podcasts right here on SHN. Who could buy something better than that than have the history right from the, the gentleman that you hear talking about it? But we also are adding things each and every day. And where's that store, may you ask? Well, it's at SportsHistoryNetwork.com. Up at the top, there is the SHN. HN merch button. Click on that. It'll take you right to the store and you can be representing your favorite podcast and show the world that, hey, on the swag that I'm using, it's the headquarters of sports yesteryear, Sports History Network, and my favorite podcaster, the Sports History Network store. Shop there today. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Now, live and direct from the press box at Old Comiskey Park, it's time for When Football Was Football. Let's join your host, Joe Ziemba, with another forgotten tale from Chicago's pro football history. Let's go! Thank you for that warm introduction, and welcome to this episode of When Football Was Football. I'm your host, Joe Ziemba. It was truly a united front with the involvement of all of the gridiron greats of the era, focusing on a single, specific objective. Cardinals owner Charles Bidwell was a major influence, as was a legendary Red Grange, along with star players such as NFL MVP Pat Harder, Marshall Goldberg, Elmer Engsman, and Chet Bulger. All were familiar and well-recognized names in the National Football League in the 1940s, and all were locking arms to prod, push, and encourage support for a sport that was not even remotely connected to pro football. Although Mr. Bidwell was involved with a variety of sporting activities during his lifetime, this particular sport was perhaps his first love on the athletic horizon. Aside from his ownership of the Chicago Cardinals of the NFL, Bidwell had also been an officer with the Chicago Bears, served as the president of the Chicago Stadium Operating Company, owned dog tracks in Florida, and was the secretary of the Chicago Businessmen's Racing Association, which operated the Hawthorne Racetrack outside of Chicago. In addition, Bidwell was involved with the National Jockey Club, which managed the Sportsman's Park facility, a racetrack that was adjacent to Hawthorne. Yet, with all of these interests, including his ownership of a printing company and his initial occupation as a lawyer, Bidwell's likely first sporting love in terms of his personal involvement was his excursion into women's softball. Bidwell was the founder of the Chicago Bluebirds professional softball team and was also the co-founder of the National Girls Baseball League, which began play in 1944 with all teams based in Chicago. Many of the games were played at Charlie's own Bidwell Stadium, located at 1975 East 75th Street on the south side of Chicago. You may recall the movie A League of Our Own, which was based on the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League that began in 1943, a year before the National Girls Baseball League started. Both circuits offered fans the opportunity to view professional athletic competition during the challenging years of World War II. The founder of the All-American League was Philip K. Wrigley, 
owner of the Chicago Cubs, and his support of women's softball was explained in 1973 by David Condon of the Chicago Tribune, who said, It was during World War II, and the Cubs, with so many away at the battlefront, were not a much better team than they've been recently. Mr. Wrigley thought that men's baseball might be a casualty of war. But each disaster brings opportunity, and Mr. Wrigley saw the chance to open new outfields for women. Condon went on to describe both Bidwell and Wrigley as pioneers for their efforts to provide women with an opportunity to play a professional sport. Although both leagues initially utilized a 12-inch ball similar to today's fast-pitch softball, and employed the underhand pitching method, Wrigley's All-American Girls League eventually allowed overhand pitching and began using a smaller ball, more similar to baseball. While all of the six National League teams under Bidwell were based in Chicago, the All-Americans consisted of 15 clubs scattered around the Midwest. The Rockford Peaches dominated the All-American group, claiming four titles during the league's existence from 1943 through 1954. Bidwell's Chicago Bluebirds captured the 1946 National League crown and added another championship in 1949. Unfortunately, the National League also disappeared after the 1954 campaign. Yet, during its brief existence, the National Girls Baseball League proved to be both an interesting and successful product. The Chicago Tribune's David Condon wrote about the National Girls Baseball League, stating... This was a league that played solely on the Chicago Sandlots and included the Bluebirds and the Rock Ola Music Maids. They'd get crowds of more than 5,000 many times and several games were played around the city each night. Bidwell did not insist on calling the sport baseball. It was softball, pure but so simple. Those gals really could play the game. Bidwell was also supportive of 16-inch softball, a sport fairly unique to the Chicago area that is played with endless passion by its followers. No gloves are used by defenders, and the pitcher must use a slow, arcing toss to the batter. The ball itself, commonly called the clincher, is indeed 16 inches around and hard as a rock at the beginning of each game. As such, any gatherings of current or former players will reveal numerous bent or misshapen fingers, the result of handling the solid ball in the early innings of a game. The clincher, ladies and gentlemen, shows no mercy. While someone new to 16 and softball might scoff at the probable ease in slugging such a large object, there's a distinct effort by hitters to place or dump the ball rather than attempt to blast it over the heads of the outfielders. Here's why. A fly ball can usually be tracked down pretty easily by the outfielders and, and caught for an out, whereas a sophisticated hitter in 16 and softball will place the ball where they ain't. Generally, the fields do not have outfield fences, so the emphasis is placed on moving the runners rather than relying on the long ball. Charles Bidwell was also a staunch supporter of 16-inch softball and was inducted into the 16-inch softball hall of fame in 2013, which stated, Charles Bidwell was a 16-inch softball organizer and early supporter of diversity for women and blacks and led by example. He owned his own stadium that featured two to three games each night. The first game was for his girls, his bluebirds, 
then followed by the Professional Men's Windy City League. He was also a supporter of diversity of color. He organized the best black team at the time, the Brown Bombers, on a tour of the western states with Eddie Robinson. Of course, you might remember him as Jack Benny's associate. Many of these players were on the Harlem Globetrotters, including the great first baseman Sweetwater Clifton, one of the first black athletes to play in the National Basketball Association. A press release from the Arizona Cardinals football team in 2013 added, For the better part of 20 years in the first half of the 20th century, most everyone who played 16 softball on the south side of Chicago knew who Charlie Bidwell was. They either played in his stadium or on one of his teams. During a time when America refused to let people participate in societal events based on their gender or the color of their skin, Bidwell opened the softball doors to everyone. Although Bidwell passed away in April of 1947, his influence and legacy in the softball universe continued. But where the story becomes even more interesting is how Bidwell managed to utilize his football resources to help support his softball endeavors. Bidwell tabbed the Cardinals creative PR man, Eddie McGuire, to perform similar responsibilities for the softball side of the business. Everyone in the Chicago media knew McGuire and his bushel full of contacts allowed the Bluebirds and the league itself to secure excellent press coverage. For example, a profile of star outfielder Dolores Benzen of the Cardinals team appeared in the Daily Calumet in 1948 along with a photo of Dolores, her two-year-old daughter Linda, and her husband Dell, with a reminder that girls' baseball games are played at Bidwell Stadium every Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. As such, McGuire kept the league and its players in the spotlight with his non-stop promotional efforts. Another Cardinals official, Arch Wolf, contributed to the management of the Bluebirds and also served as the president of the National Girls Baseball League. In addition, Bidwell encouraged his players on the Chicago Cardinals football team and other celebrities to support the girls' softball product. In April of 1947, the legendary halfback Red Grange accepted an appointment as the commissioner of the National League. Then in 1948, when the Chicago Cardinals were the defending champions of the National Football League, team members agreed to participate in a charity softball game against the Chicago Radio All-Stars. As reported by the Daily Calumet, which said, the Radio All-Stars and the world champion Chicago Cardinals football team are going to combine their efforts to aid many unfortunate youngsters when they meet in the softball game at Bidwell Stadium on July 17th. While the radio squad would be paced by local luminaries such as Two-Ton Baker and Jack Brickhouse, the Cubs announcer, the Cardinals would field a team composed of several of the key Cardinals players at the time, such as Stan Malden, Billy Duell, Pat Harder, Marshall Goldberg, Vic Schwal, Elmer Angsman, and Chet Bulger. Clearly, the tradition of Charles Bidwell to support charitable organizations was being continued even after his unfortunate passing, and his beloved Chicago Cardinals were a primary reason for that activity. Although Bidwell enjoyed the softball championship captured by the Bluebirds in 1946, he was not able to witness the NFL title won by the Chicago Cardinals in 1947. As mentioned, the dually women softball leagues departed in 1954 and Bidwell Stadium was sold 
to the Chicago Park District in early 1950. I mentioned the word sold a bit sarcastically since by this time the stadium was owned by the Kelly Coal Company. Apparently the owners were reluctant to sell the facility and the surrounding land, so the Chicago Park District simply condemned the land in order to acquire it. Also in 1950, Mrs. Violet Bidwell sold the Bluebirds team to Elvin Thomas, a businessman from the south side of Chicago. At the same time, the Bluebirds, as well as the remainder of the clubs in the National League, announced that their games would now be played at Gill Stadium at 87th and Greenwood, where all would tackle a 110-game schedule. Bidwell Stadium was later renamed as South Shore Park, where softball competition was limited strictly to neighborhood teams. And so after 1954, the professional women's softball leagues disappeared, although their legacies continue to shine through generations of current and future players. The influence and leadership of Charles Bidwell in the world of professional softball was enormous, with the recognition by the 16-inch Softball Hall of Fame, a wonderful reminder of his stature and willingness to spread the game to any and all who were interested in playing. Though remembered as the architect of the 1947 NFL champion Chicago Cardinals, Charlie Bidwell's granddaughter Nicole recalled his leadership in terms of promoting softball participation, no matter the gender or color of the player might be. Nicole stated, For those reasons, one of the sports in which he also had a great affinity was 16 in softball. My grandfather was very, very proud to be from Chicago. I know he viewed 16 in softball to be a perfect match for the city and its small, close-knit neighborhoods. We hope you enjoyed our brief excursion today into the wide world of sports of Charles Bidwell, where his efforts to promote a little-known sport at the time will be as well-remembered as his enormous contributions to the history of the National Football League. Thank you for joining us for this episode of When Football Was Football here on the Sports History Network. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Do you wish you knew more about the 100 seasons of the NFL? You're in luck because you found the Football History Dude podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. From the founding of the league in an auto showroom, all the way to what it is today, America's favorite sport and a behemoth of an industry. My name is Ernie Chapman. Football is my passion, and I want you to come along with me each week to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board, my DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.